Well, we're, we're, in the, we're officially in the fall, aren't we? It feels good out there. Uh, we're going to pray here in just a minute. Um, i got to tell you guys uh, just something before we, we do that. I, I was, uh, I was uh, speaking in Washington, D.C. this weekend. Uh, there are a group of uh, churches uh, that are basically uh, staffed and uh, led by uh, some folks from Nigeria. And they planted some churches in the United States and in England. And uh, so this group asked me to come and speak for them. And I've done a couple conferences for them over the last six, seven months. But I'd never done a Sunday morning service. So last Sunday, I spoke at this uh, church comprised mainly of Nigerian people living in Washington, D.C. And the service started at 10. And they uh, got me up to preach at 1230. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And before I got up, the, the pastor said, he said, you, he said, you take an hour. You just take an hour. And I was hungry was the problem. <laughs> I didn't want to take an hour. <laughs> I was up in the middle preaching. About halfway through, I said, hey, you mind if I call Domino's and get a pizza delivered? Because I hadn't planned on being here this long. They, they got out at 3 o'clock. I mean, I'm not sure why I'm telling you that. Except I may go a little longer tonight, and uh, we'll have pizzas brought in. But, uh, man, that was really, that, that was quite a service. That, uh, they were serious, and, boy, they, they, they made it an all-day affair. It was a great day. Uh, let's, let's pray as we begin tonight that uh, the Lord will give us what we need. Father, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's evening, and some of us have been going since early this morning. And, uh, Lord, the fatigue can begin to set in just because we've had meetings and we've had appointments and we've had projects and we've had people we've been talking to and we've been on the phone. And here we are. And, Lord, we would ask that uh, we would not waste this time. We, we ask, Lord, that you would give us strength. We ask that you would uh, fortify us. Uh, Lord, we, we always have a need to hear from you. We are constantly inundated in our culture uh, with lies, with deception, uh, with, with half-truths. Uh, we, we are fed a constant diet of it. And it is so refreshing to be able to go to your book, which is true in, in every single part. It's inspired uh, to the very jot and tittle. Uh, there's not a page that we can't trust. There's not a paragraph uh, that isn't breathed out by you. So tonight, Lord, as we continue to study these men of the past, uh, men who ate breakfast and had lunch and had meetings and had dinner appointments and would get tired about 7.30 or 8, just like we do, um, help us to learn from their lives. We're on the same track they're on. We have the same creator. We have the same issues. We're just separated by several thousand years. But they were men and were men. So, Lord, uh, instruct us. Give us open hearts. Uh, Lord, help us to see things perhaps that we have not seen before. And, and when I say that, we all have areas of, of blindness. We all have areas, Lord, that, uh, that we're not aware of. I've been aware of this over the last few weeks. We've all got blind spots. Lord, would, would you uh, shine the light where there's darkness in our lives so that we can uh, respond to it and yield and surrender that area to you? Make us better men. Make us wise men. 
to the guys that are here tonight and hurting, and we've got them, and, and we all look like we're okay, and we all look like we're doing all right. But, Lord, there are some guys here that are really going through it. They're in deep waters. They're under great pressure. Encourage them, I pray. Pray for the guys that are making major decisions, and they're, and they're, and they're struggling because of the pressure they're under, maybe to make the wrong choice. We all deal with that, Lord. Help us to make right choices that honor you. Because when we honor you, you honor us. So we commit our time to you tonight. We ask that we be profitable. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. <clears throat> uh, football games uh, break up into four quarters. And we're going to look at a king tonight. And as I've looked at uh, King Asa, A-S-A, you can find uh, Asa's story in Second uh, Chronicles, uh, specifically, as you go to Second Chronicles, we're going to be perusing three chapters tonight about uh, about King Asa. He was uh, he, he was a guy whose life roughly who, whose time as king of Judah roughly breaks up into four quarters uh, of about ten years each. Actually, he would go over that just a little bit. But uh, Asa was a man. Uh, who was the third third king in the line of uh, of Judah of the southern kingdom? If you go to Second uh, Chronicles fourteen, uh, we're introduced to uh, to Asa. He is considered one of the good kings of the kings that followed Solomon. You know, the first king was Saul. Then you had David. Then, of course, you had Solomon. And after that, you got you got forty kings in the north and in the south. Of, uh, of the kings in the north, um, all of them were wicked. Not one of them was a standout. Not one of them had a heart for God. We looked at the, at the first king of the northern kingdom last week, who was Jeroboam. And just to do a real quick summary, after Solomon, the throne went to his son Rehoboam. Uh, some of you guys, your wives are pregnant and you're kicking around names for a child. You don't want to do Rehoboam. Um, He'd be the only kid in this class with that name, but you don't want to stick that on the kid because Rehoboam, Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, Rehoboam may have been one of the most foolish who ever lived. Uh, because of his foolishness, you know, he took the throne when he was 41, but uh, he didn't listen to the wise counselors. He listened to the young men, men young in experience and young in wisdom. Uh, he, he listened to the losers is what he did. So he raised uh, a heavy burden on the people, and there was a rebellion. And a guy by the name of Jeroboam, what happened was the ten tribes of the north split off from the two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin. And so you got a divided kingdom now. So the northern kingdom is going to be called Israel. The southern kingdom is going to be called Judah. So the first week we looked at Rehoboam, first king of the, uh, of the split kingdom in the south, Judah, Last week, we looked at Jeroboam, who was the first king of the northern kingdom, and God gave him a phenomenal opportunity. God said, Jeroboam, I'll bless you as I bless David. Now, that's quite an offer. And what he did was he screwed it up. And he was an idolater. He never did have a heart for God. All of the other kings that followed him in the northern kingdom uh, followed him in the, uh, in, in the sins of Jeroboam. 
They set up golden calves as Aaron did. Remember when Moses was up on the mountain? He brought back calf worship to Israel. So when you look at the history of the northern kingdom, you had a bunch of losers who were leaders, is what you had. They, had no, they were men without a heart for God. By the way, where are those guys today? Oh, my God. <clears throat> That's something I'd say. No, I said, where are those guys? Did you think? Some of you didn't hear the guy. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to. Uh, we know where you stand, man. He said they were Democrats. Now, I'm not sure you want to say that, but, but you said it. Um, anyway, you, 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 and, you, and you totally threw me off is what you did here. So in the northern kingdom, you had a stretch of Democrat kings, and then in the... No, just kidding. So none of those guys... None of those guys walked with God. And, and it was just darkness after darkness. So where are those kings today? They're dead. And where else are they? They're not in California. Wait, what are you guys drinking down there? <laughs> My, where'd you guys eat dinner before you came in here? No, they, 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 you know where they are? They're in hell is where they are. That's, that's where I was trying to go with that, you see. And, and great kings, great domains, great wealth, uh, great privilege, great status, great honor, and they're in hell today. They lived wasted lives. Now, in the southern kingdom, you had approximately 20 kings that followed uh, Solomon. Of those 28, out of the 20, eight of the 20 are called good kings. Um, we're going to look at Asa tonight. He was the third king. You say, well, why aren't we going to look at his father? Because his father only reigned for three years. If you want to look at his father, just look at the, uh, uh, look at the previous chapter. Uh, his, his father uh, was a man who did not follow the Lord, uh, had a brief momentary uh, uh, situation in his life where he actually trusted God and God gave him a, uh, a uh, victory in battle, interestingly enough, against the northern kingdom, against Jeroboam. But other than that, uh, he, was, he was an evil king. Yet his son, and the man of whom I'm referring to, you can read about him in, in chapter 13, is Abijah. So we're going to slip over Abijah, and we're going to go right to Asa. Asa was the first of the eight godly kings in the southern kingdom. Um, and I think, really, you can break this guy's life up into about, uh, uh, into about uh, four quarters uh, roughly, uh, if you flip over to Second Chronicles 16, verse 13, you will see that Asa reigned um, for 40 years. Actually, he died into his 41st year. So as we look at uh, Asa's life and, and how he lived his life, I'm going to break it up into four quarters, just like a football game, of 10 years each. That's how we're going to look at this guy uh, Asa. Now, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles, but I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 6 as we kick off tonight. <clears throat> Why is it that um, out of all those kings, and, and you know, Israel had been given the very oracles of God, uh, Paul tells us. As you're going to Ephesians 6, you've got to ask the question, out of those 40 kings, I mean, they had a phenomenal heritage. 
their nation had been chosen by God. They were the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Uh, they had a phenomenal history. Uh, they, they, they knew about Joseph. They knew how God uh, took Joseph out of dire circumstances where his brother sold him into slavery and then took him into Egypt and God promoted him so that he was the second most powerful man in the world. And, uh, and then they knew about the, the fact that there was going to be uh, seven good years and seven lean years and, and Joseph ruled and then you know, generations went by and the Egyptians made the, the Jews slaves and, and Moses was raised up to lead them out of Egypt into the promised land and all this great history. You see. Uh, these guys knew about David. These guys knew about Solomon. Why is it that 40 of them, only 8 of them, walked with God and the others didn't? I think it's because we're in spiritual warfare. Um, uh, there are unseen powers that we're dealing with. And Ephesians 6 talks about spiritual battle. If you know Christ, you're in spiritual battle. Uh, constantly, you're fighting uh, the world and the flesh and the devil. Uh, sometimes when a nation's at war, when England was at war, they knew they were at war because when Hitler was trying to bomb the daylights out of London, uh, you'd wake up sometimes once, sometimes twice, and have to take your kids and gather them into a shelter. And you'd come out, and neighborhoods would be destroyed, and people that you went to school with had been killed. In a situation like that, you know you're at war. We know we're at war now. We've got guys in Iraq, and we've got guys in Afghanistan. We know we're at war. When the Trade Center was hit, we knew we were at war. See, it's been kind of calm. We haven't had anything here of late. Um, that's what happens spiritually sometimes. Because outwardly, everything's okay. Uh, we forget we're in spiritual battle. Look at Ephesians 6.10. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Uh, there's, there's, there's evil that happens in our world. There's evil that happens uh, in the judicial system. There's evil that happens uh, in the business world. Uh, what, and we tend to identify certain individuals uh, who we think are standing for the wrong things. And, and I think we should identify them. But what we tend to forget is that there are, there are unseen forces there is, a, there is a real devil. There is Satan. When he fell from heaven, he took a third of the angels with him in rebellion to God. Uh, so, so there are spirits. Now, we tend not to see them. We're not aware of them. But you go to a country like Haiti, where there's unbelievable darkness and voodoo, it's not unusual to run across people that are demon-possessed, you see. Uh, and... and and, and, and give all the evidences of being demon-possessed, even as it happened in the Scriptures when Jesus was there and cast those demons out. Uh, we're in battle. If you go on there uh, in verse 13, he says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Verse 14, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, He's, he's uh, 
you know, what Paul is doing is just looking at a, a centurion here, a Roman centurion, and how the guy would be outfitted, and he's basically just breaking down the armor that this centurion would be wearing and applying it to the Christian life. Uh, you gird your loins with truth. That's why we're here tonight, is to look at the truth of the Word of God. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, we put on the righteousness of Christ. And when the enemy comes to us and, and brings up something that we did 25 years ago that we're ashamed of and we, we wish we could go back and undo, and he shoots those fiery darts, as we'll read of in just a minute, uh, I've got to put on the breastplate because he'll, uh, he'll try to bring up past sin that's already been paid for. Well, I've got to put on the breastplate of the righteousness of Christ to fend off the attack, you see? Verse 15, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, what you wear on your feet is important when you're in warfare. If you're going to play hockey, you better wear skates. That's important. If you're going to play football on grass, you better have some cleats. If you're going to play football on astroturf, you better not have inch cleats. You see, the kind of shoes that you wear on the turf that you're in battle is very important. Because, you see, if you've got the wrong kind of shoes, you can't stand, what? Firm, and it said three times to stand firm. Verse 16, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith, shield. We're going to see some guys tonight with shields. With which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. So back then, they'd shoot these bows uh, these arrows, but they would dip them in pitch and light them, and, and, you know, you got those suckers coming at you. So those are fiery darts. That happens in the spiritual realm. The enemy will fire those things at you. Verse 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, in all this battle that we're in, you know we only have one offensive weapon, and the offensive weapon that we have been given is not an M16. The offensive weapon that we've been given is the Word of God, is the Bible. So we've got to know how to wield our sword. We've got to know how to use it because it's the only thing we have to, uh, to attack with. Uh, 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. So does that mean you walk around all the time? Uh, saying, oh, Lord, help me. Oh, Lord. Is that what you do? No. It just means, you know, you, you know what I think? You pray at all times. I just think it means that on your back burner, your kitchen, don't you have four burners? We do. And sometimes I come in and Mary's got something simmering on that back burner. You can just barely see the, we had a, it's a gas thing. You can only just barely see that. So I think that's how it is when we go through life. You got that prayer just going on the back. It's just simmering. Because you're talking with people and you got calls to make and you, got, you, you can't walk around just praying all the time. The scripture knows that. It's practical. But, but you know what? You always got your burner on. You always got your radio on. You always got your frequency on where you're in immediate communication with the Lord. So, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times with the Spirit, in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, etc., etc. He's talking about warfare. Now, why did I go to Ephesians 6? Because as we're looking at these dead kings, there's a reason that these guys lived the kind of lives that they did. We're going to look at Asa. I'll just tell you right out of the blocks about Asa. Asa had a strong first quarter. I mean, he came out and, and he basically drove the field. He had a real good second quarter. First half was unbelievable. 
he was actually doing pretty well into the third quarter, and then he started to lose it. You've seen teams do that. Come out the first half, they're unbelievable. They're dynamite. I remember, what, what was it, 77, 77, maybe 79, USC and Notre Dame were playing. And Notre Dame, if I'm not mistaken, was just pummeling SC. This is out of the Coliseum. Had them down, I want to say something like 34 to 3 or something like that. Right at the end of the, of the half, I think Anthony Davis had run a kickback. I, I mean, it, it, people were turning it off. I mean, it wasn't even worth watching. Uh, SC was absolutely, I mean, they, they looked like a junior high team. And guess who won that game? That was the game Anthony Davis scored six touchdowns. And a phenomenal football game. But, but SC was, un, or, or, uh, Notre Dame was unbelievable in the first half. But they got into the third quarter, and they, that sort of aces life. Yeah, let me ask you something. What quarter are you in of your life? Well, you really don't know, do you? Because you don't know when the clock runs out. We, we think we do. We think it'll run out at 75 or 80. That's what you're hoping. Or 85, but you don't know that for sure, you see. Um, great first quarter, great second quarter. Guy was feeling pretty good at halftime. How many of you guys are 40? Yeah, raise your hands if you can raise them. It's a rotator cuff issue, you know that. See, Bob uh, Buford wrote a great book called Halftime about... Uh, thinking about the second half of your life. You live the first half, what am I going to do the second half? See, great concept. Asa had to be feeling pretty good about himself at halftime. Got in the third quarter and things started to change. Why? Why? I want to tell you why. I think it was because in the first two quarters, he followed what Ephesians 6 said. He, he, he stood firm. Three times in that passage on spiritual warfare, it says stand what? Firm. Stand firm. Um, he did it the first quarter. He did it the second quarter. He started to waver the third quarter. Now let's see if we can uh, do an analysis of the quarters of this guy's lives and learn, uh, of his life and learn some lessons. Here's my first observation about Asa, and we're back in Second uh, Chronicles here. My first observation about Asa is, is simply this. Asa stood firm in the first quarter. He stood firm in the first quarter of his life of being king. And, and let me break that down for you, specifically how it was that he stood firm. Let me give you, uh, let me give you two things that demonstrates that he stood firm in the first ten years. Number one, he stood firm by honoring God. Number two, he uh, stood firm by reforming the nation. Uh, let's begin reading the text in chapter 14 of Second Chronicles. So Abijah, his father, slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for ten years during his days. So the first ten years were good years. Um, now, now, here's the overall view of Asa. And, and believe it or not, Asa, remember I said he was considered a good king? Had a great first half. His second half, he wavered. But he still 
overall, he had a heart for God. He just... See, good beginnings don't ensure good endings. This guy had a good beginning. Uh, verse 2 says, And Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. Now, why does it say that? Verse 3 tells us. For he removed the foreign altars and the high places. He tore down the sacred pillars and cut down the asherim and commanded Judah. Now, where did those come from, by the way? Where, well, I'll tell you, one place they came from was his father. Isn't that interesting? In the last couple of weeks, I've talked to, uh, I don't know if I said this last week or not, or maybe the week before. Two guys have been on my heart, I've been thinking about them. Two guys in their early 20s that I've talked to in the last, I don't know, month. And you know what these guys are struggling with? Uh, their, their dads were Christian men. Um, and both their dads, right around the age of 45, just flaked out. Left their moms got involved in all kinds of sexual stuff. Uh, these guys are devastated because they're 22, 23 years old. And, uh, and, and, you, and you, know what, you know what's scaring them to death? They're afraid they're going to do what their fathers did. That's what's scaring them to death. They're afraid they're going to emulate their father. Um, Ace's dad was not a good example. Some of you guys, perhaps you can relate to these two young men that I'm talking about. Because your father wasn't a good example. These guys are scared to death that they're going to fail as their fathers fail. I was talking with this guy a couple of weeks ago in California. Big, good-looking kid. You know, got a great future. Smart as a whip. There's uh, a heart for the Lord. And he, this guy's just got tears just flowing down his face. He's just worried sick. He's, he's going he's gonna to fail like his father failed. And I said, you know what you need to do? You need to go back to your room tonight. You need to read Ezekiel chapter 18. Why would you read Ezekiel chapter 18? Because, well, I'll show you. It's worth, keep your finger there. Let's go over to Ezekiel 18. Uh, Ezekiel 18 talks about, um, talks about fathers and sons. So uh, go to your right, and you'll find... Uh, Psalms, and then keep going, and you'll find, uh, you'll find Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel talks about uh, the heart of a man. Uh, Ezekiel says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge? Uh, look at verse 4. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins will die. But if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness and does not eat at the mountain shrines where they would practice idolatry or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or, defy his, or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a Roman during her menstrual period, the man does not impress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. Uh, he gives some other things. Look at the end of 9. Then he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord God. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and who does any of these things to a brother, though he himself did not do any of these things. That is, he even eats at the mountain shrines and defiles his neighbor's wife. Um, what he's talking about here is a father who lives the right way, and then has a son 
who doesn't live the right way. And then all the way through the chapter, he talks about the... Look, go down to verse 20. He says, the person who sins will die. Back, go back to 19. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity? When the son has practiced justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them, he shall live. The person who sins will die. See, what he's saying is, each man has a choice. The father lives his life, he has a choice. His son is going to live his life, he has a choice. Then his son comes along, he has a choice. We're going to study these history of kings. Every one of these guys came along, they each had a choice how they were going to live. And they all knew the truth, just like you know the truth and I know the truth. Verse 20, the son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment for his son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. Uh, himself. So each man determines his path. Each man determines his course. So Asa grew up in a situation where his father was not a godly man. Did that mean he was doomed to the same kind of life? Absolutely not. Uh, I've used the illustration before that uh, a family tree, you know, we all have a genealogy. And some people study this stuff, and they know their genealogy back for three, four hundred years. Uh, you know, oh, my, my, parent, my, my grandfather came over on the, on the Mayflower. You know, well, maybe your father came over on a Chris Craft. Uh, you know, not quite has the same historical significance. But they came over. How'd they get here? Well, they came over in different ways. Some of them came over here in bondage. But you see, the fact of the matter is, is that you've got a family genealogy. You, all you may know is your grandpa. See, what's a genealogy? It's a chain is what a genealogy is. And see, each generation puts a new link in the chain. You are not doomed to do what your father did. Uh, you're your own man before God. Uh, that's what these two young men needed to know. That's what Asa needed to know. And Asa, you know what? He comes out of the blocks, and he's cooking, and he undoes what his father did. Why did he do what was good and right in the sight of the Lord? We're back in 2 Chronicles 12.3. He removed the foreign altars and the high places. He tore down the sacred pillars, cut down the ashram, and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. The word seek is important in Chronicles. It's talking all the time about seeking the Lord. That what that means is you've got a heart for him. Uh, what it means to us is that we want to be a Christ follower. When I was in England a few weeks ago with Mary, I... I we were staying at this Holiday Inn, and right outside was this just little grassy area. England's a riot because, I mean, here's this Holiday Inn, and then they got this little grass area we can get coffee. And 20 yards from the grass area was this church built in the 13th century. Just boom, just right there. And it was quiet and away from the main street. And I was out there reading my Bible, and I, anyway, I was going upstairs, I get in the elevator, and this guy, the door's about to shut, and he jumps in the elevator. He sees my Bible, and he goes, uh, he says, is that a Bible? And I said, yeah. He said, are you, a, are you a Christ follower? I like that. He didn't say, are you a Christian? He says, are you a Christ follower? I said, yeah, I am. Are you? He goes, yeah. And we started talking. Where are you from? Dut, dut, dut. I mean, by the time we got to the third floor, uh, we found out we knew some guys in Dallas. We had mutual friends. Isn't that amazing? But, but his phrase was, are you a Christ follower? See, that's what it means to seek, to seek the Lord. Um, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord their God. He also removed the high places. See, here, you see what this guy's doing? He's honoring God. Let me back up. He's standing firm by honoring God 
and reforming the nation. How is he reforming the nation? He's taking away the idols. Because, um, you know, there's this thing called the Ten Commandments. You guys heard of this, right? Uh, you shall have uh, no graven images. Uh, they were not to be a people of idolatry. Now, in the north, you've got idolatry going on. You've got two golden calves, and they're worshiping these calves. Down in the south, Asa is tearing all this stuff down. Uh, look at verse 5 at the end of it. It says, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. Um, then go to verse 7. Uh, actually, in 6, we get the concept that there was no war with him during those years because the Lord had given him rest. And so he took the opportunity that he's going to rebuild fortified cities. Look at this in verse 7. For he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. Now, if you recall, when we studied Rehoboam, Rehoboam did the same thing. You see? And, and maybe you remember me saying, Rehoboam did this on the surface, it looked good, but Rehoboam did it out of a wrong motive. Because Rehoboam was trusting in the fortified cities instead of trusting in the Lord. And because he trusted in the fortified cities, this pharaoh came up from Egypt, Egypt named Shishak. And what did Shishak do? He came and took every one of those fortified cities as a judgment upon Rehoboam and, uh, and destroyed them and looted them is what he did. You know how we got all discussion, we're going to rebuild Iraq and the infrastructure? So who comes along and does that? Asa does. Why did he have to rebuild what Rehoboam has built? Because Rehoboam had sinned, Shishak comes in, and now he's going to fix what Shishak ruined. Uh, only he's not doing it trusting in the cities, he's doing it trusting in God. That's why God gave him peace for ten years in the first quarter of life. So this is this guy's first quarter. He's, uh, he's off to a great start. Now, let's go to the second quarter, because it's moving quickly. Uh, and here's my second principle. Uh, Asa stood firm in the second quarter against an army of a million men. Uh, note, if you would, <clears throat> uh, verse 9. Now, Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men. Uh, literally, in the Hebrew, it's a thousand thousands. That's a million. I think the NIV says a vast number. But the idea is it was an unbelievable. Can you imagine a million men coming at you? Now, if you look in verse 8, Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah bearing large shields. You read about shields in Ephesians 6 and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and wielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. So what you got here is after 10 years of peace, a good first quarter, uh, suddenly he's in, he's in war in the second quarter. Uh, and they're basically outnumbered almost two to one. Uh, a, a number of almost unbelievable dimensions. <clears throat> So what do you do when you're outnumbered two to one? Um, well, here's what this guy did. Look at uh, verse 10. So Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up in battle formation in the valley of uh, Zephathah at Marisha. Then Asa, now catch this, Levin is classic. This, this shows you the heart of Asa. Okay. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides thee to help in the battle between the powerful 
and those who have no strength. Now, who would be the ones who have no strength? Who is he talking about? He's talking about himself and his army. Because they knew that their strength was in the Lord. Who are they up against? They're up against the powerful. You know, one of the themes you read throughout the Bible is that God's people are always outnumbered. They're always outnumbered. They're up against the odds. There, there's no way out. There's no way of escape. And what does God always do? God always makes a way of escape. And when people trust God with their lives, he makes a way where there is no way. He gives victory. There's no way in the world you're going to have victory. That's, what, that's the story of the Bible, guys. That's all the way through the Old Testament. You know why that stuff is in there? It's in there for you, and it's in there for me. Because as we're going through life, life is a series of battles. Uh, the New Testament says we, we live from faith to faith. What does that mean? I think it means that we, we face a battle. Maybe you face a battle with a, with a kid you've raised to know as Christ, and he's in rebellion. And that's a battle. You're trying to save this kid. People out there with drugs and all this and are trying to tear this kid away from you, you're in a battle. And then perhaps God is gracious or, you know, and you see a turnaround, you see this kid come to the Lord, or, or maybe you're still fighting the battle, you see? You've got a prodigal and he's been out there a while. You're fighting that battle. And then something else comes along and you're fighting this battle. See, it's from faith. And each battle requires faith for God to come through in a different... Sometimes you're fighting a battle in your marriage. Sometimes you're fighting a battle uh, to keep your head above water financially. Sometimes, see, it's a battle. And sometimes the odds are absolutely overwhelming, and there's just no way you're going to make it. See, that's what these guys dealt with. So what do you do in a situation? You do what Asa did. You call out to the Lord. Say, Lord, there's no one besides thee to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us. Help us. O Lord our God, for we trust in thee. Now catch this. And in thy name have come against this multitude. O Lord, thou art our God. Let not man prevail against thee. Uh, the name of God is important. The names of God are important. In, in the book of Chronicles, in, 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 uh, throughout Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, Chronicles stresses that God's name was the way of accessing divine power. Forty-three times in Chronicles, it refers to the name of the Lord. Um, you know what's interesting? Is that God has, if you read 2 Chronicles 6, verse 20, uh, the name of God was, was on the name of the temple. That was his temple. Uh, the presence of God's name, uh, Richard Pratt says, that God's eyes and heart were in the temple. You know, God dwelt in the Holy of Holies, and the presence of God was there. Uh, what Chronicles is teaching all the way through is that access to God and the hope of God's blessing on your life was available only for those who called on God's name. Now, that's the same principle you have in the New Testament. You see, in the, in the New Testament, what you have is an emphasis on the name of Jesus. When we pray, we pray in what? We offer this prayer in the, in the name of Jesus. Interesting. We're to preach in the name of Jesus. Um, uh, that's Luke 24, 47. Uh, we're to baptize in the name of Jesus. Uh, that's Matthew 28, 19. We're to pray in the name of Jesus. That's John 14, 13. 
We're to fellowship in the name of Jesus. That's Matthew 18, 20. Uh, I'm going to show you this again in the Old Testament. Uh, a very familiar story. Maybe the most familiar story in the Old Testament. Go to 1 Samuel. Turn to your left and go to 1 Samuel 17. Uh, not 2 Samuel. Let's go to 1 Samuel 17. Famous, famous event that, uh, that uh, just about everybody still knows about, and that's when David faced Goliath. You talk about being outnumbered. You talk about the odds against somebody. He's going up against this massive giant who had absolutely uh, uh, frozen the men of Israel. And David shows up. His dad sent him over there because he had some brothers in the army. His dad sent him over there with some Subway sandwiches to feed these guys. And David says, sees this guy and says, hey, this guy's a blasphemer. Who's taking this guy on? Nobody's taking him on. He says, well, I'll take him on. God was with me, and I took on a bear and a lion to protect my sheep. Look at verse 45 then, uh, of 2 Chronicles 17. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. See, wh where does power come from? It comes from the name of God. Uh, as he prays, see, he accesses power through the name. How do we access the power of God. You know the amazing thing when we pray, guys? I mean, this is amazing. You know, one of the dangers of praying is, is that, and it happens to all of us, the danger of praying is that we pray without thinking what, what we're doing. Because when we pray, we're literally going into the very holy of holies. And, and God the Father, we have his full and undivided attention. Now, how did we ever get access into the Holy of Holies? How did you get it? You got it through Jesus. You get it through the blood of Jesus. In Israel, only one man could go into the Holy of Holies, just one day a year. And they all gathered around when he was in there. And, you know, they, they tied a rope on his ankle. Did you know that? Because if he made the sacrifices in a wrong way, you know what happened to him? God would kill him. So how do you ever get a guy out? Well, you better just drag him out. Because if you go in to get him, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to join him. Uh, that's how they had to do it. Uh, are you worried about going into the Holy of Holies and talking with the Lord? No. Because, see, you've got access Some of you remember when uh, John Kennedy was president. And we'd see those pictures on the news sometimes of this little boy, cute little kid, running around in little short pants, you know. A little kid would run. Do you just run into the Oval Office? No, you don't. They'll be on you and cuff you if you run into the Oval Office. But they called that little kid John John. He'd run in. See, he had the same, he had the name. He had the name which accessed the power. We've got the name which accesses the power. Against insurmountable odds, I don't care what you're up against, there's power in the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved except the name of Jesus. You see, uh, people die for the name of Jesus. People give their lives for the name of Jesus. Jesus is the name above every name. And names are important.
had a lot of people talking about Allah. Let me tell you something about Allah. One day Allah is going to bow. And he's going to say that Jesus is Lord. Isn't that good? Isn't that great? At the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. By his grace and mercy, we get to bow now. Not because of what we've done, because of what he's done. Okay. We're in the second quarter with Asa. So he's got this, I mean, he's got, he's got this unbelievable situation before him. And so what happens? Well, what happens is he accessed the power of God. Look at verse 14. Because they got a victory going on. In verse 14 it says, And they destroyed all the cities around Gerar for the dread of the Lord. That's Steve Farrar. There was a dread. There was a terror. God went ahead and fought for them. I tell you, when you read the kings, when you study the kings, when these guys would trust in God, amazing things happened. Uh, we're going to read, we're, we're going to do some studying on some battles where these guys were outnumbered just like this, and they didn't even go to war. But the Spirit of God went ahead, and he, and he just slew these guys before they ever walked out. Uh, God loves to fight battles for men that will ask God to fight battles for him. Uh, you're not alone. You're not by yourself. Uh, let, let's, let's go to the next section here on Asa. Um, uh, let's go to chapter 15. Because what happened to Asa is that Asa continued to stand firm in the second quarter by obeying the prophet of God. Now, let me tell you what happened. They had this unbelievable battle against this million-man army. God gives them a great victory. Now you jump to 15. Now go to verse 8 first. 15.8. Now when Asa heard these words and the prophecy which Azariah, the son of Obed, or Oded, the prophet spoke, he took courage. Now what prophecy are we talking about? Well, let's go back to 15.1. What happens is when they come back from battle and Asa had trusted in God to fight his battles for him, um, And see, I don't want to minimize this, because the fact of the matter is, sometimes we're in battles, and just about everything's on the line. Some of you guys are in battles for your marriage. That's just the fact of the matter. There's, no, there, there's, not a, there's not a spark of emotion in your life for your wife. It's gone. There may not be a spark of emotion in her life for you. You know what's possible for people to emotionally die? It's possible for a wife to become emotionally dead to a man. Maybe that's what you're dealing with. And maybe you're doing everything you can do to try to win your wife back. And it seems absolutely insurmountable. But you're in trouble. So where do you turn? And where's your hope? And quite, frank, quite frankly, you're probably out of hope. Because you've been, and maybe you've woken up and you were doing things wrong for eight, nine, ten years, and all of a sudden God's got your attention and you're trying to be a man. You're trying to be a godly man and you're trying to serve her and you're trying to love her and live with her in an understanding way, and you're getting absolutely no response. <clears throat> That's a battle. What, what do you do? You keep obeying the Lord. You just keep obeying the Lord. Because you see, what God's got to do is that God's got to do a work in her heart because she's been deeply wounded and deeply damaged. And it's going to take some time. Uh, it, it's not going to happen in two weeks or it's not going to happen in four weeks. 
So what do you do? You stay the course, man. You stand firm. You don't say, well, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. No, you stand firm and you fight the battle. You're not giving up. See, that's how you do it. And see, that's, that's as insurmountable a battle as what this guy faced. God gave him a victory. Maybe you don't have the victory yet. Well, you, you hey, let me tell you something. If, if you leave, there will be no victory. So you stay with it. Now, now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa. This guy just comes back from battle. And all Judah and Benjamin, listen to me. The Lord is with you when you are with him. Here's a great principle. Uh, do, you, do you want the Lord to fight for you? Then you seek the Lord. Do, do you want the Lord uh, to have his hand on your life, his hand of favor, and do you want God to give you victory in life? Then you make sure your heart is with him. It, it, quite frankly, what he's saying, as long as your heart is with the Lord's, the Lord's heart will be with you. You'll experience God's favor. As long as you obey the Lord, you'll experience God. And let me ask you something. When one of your kids... When one of your kids obeys you, and you say, be in at 11, and he comes in at 11, and, and uh, you've got that, maybe his, uh, you know, he's in high school, and, and so that's the rule. You come in at 11. He comes in at 11. Well, then the next year, um, the chances are you're probably going to reward that. Uh, maybe by expanding the time or by some other way. But, but you see, fathers reward obedience. You do that. And when you have disobedience, you tell a kid to be in 11, and they never come in 11, they come in 11.30, they come in 12, 12, 15, then what happens? Do you bless that kid? No. I mean, unless you're a total fool. You know. I mean, some guys, the kid is disobedient, they go buy him a new Jeep. What's wrong with you? Somebody ought to run over you in a Jeep if you would do that. That kid doesn't need more stuff. That kid needs a firm hand. That kid needs to learn to respect authority. When that kid, what does Proverbs say? Discipline your son while there is hope. You see? You got a kid that's disobedient, you can't let that disobedience go on. Neither does the Lord. So there's what he's saying. The Lord's with you when you were with him. And if you seek him, there's that word again, he will let you find him, but if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. So, so, so does that mean if we get into sin, that God's going to forsake us? That's not what it's saying. It's saying... It's saying we'll forsake his favor. Uh, I want, you know what I want in my life? I want the blessing of God. I want the favor of God in my life. Don't you want that? Then what, then what, then what do we do? We seek him. Gosh. Once a year I do my income tax. Um, only because it's required by law. But I always take two extensions. I always do. I, that's what I've done for years. You can, you know, it's April 15th, but you can extend to August 15th, or you can extend to October 15th. And I don't know, it just always works best with my schedule to extend it to October 15th. So, um, that's what I do. And um, so, last couple of days, I'm getting all my stuff off of Quicken and getting all this stuff and sending it off to my CPA. And uh, I'm doing my Schedule C. And I'm, I'm looking at this deal, and I, and I almost forgot that I'd done it. But I had this deduction that was fairly significant. And I was really glad it was on there because I hated spending the money previously. 
But I thought, all right, I get to deduct that. And I have a CPA do my thing, but I got this book that's this thick so I can check stuff and make sure that CPA knows what the heck he's doing. Because I check him before I give it to him. So I'm checking this deduction, and I look it up. And you know what I read? I read this last night about, uh, oh, about, uh, about 6.30 uh, it, it, that I couldn't deduct it. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't think that was right. <laughs> and, and I'll just be real truthful with you, I still don't think it's right. And I'm thinking, you know what? That can't be right. That absolutely cannot be right. So they had this cross-reference. So I cross-reference over here to the, you know, uh, Section 8, Part B, you know, small letter A. I mean, I'm going crazy on this stuff. And I'm reading this because I'm thinking, yeah, but. And if you're an author, there's a section. If you write books, if you're an author, there's a different deal on Schedule C if you're an author or an artist. So I looked that section up and I thought, there, there it is. And then it referred me over here to this deal. And then this deal said, and I'm reading this and I had all this hope. And then it said, even if you do this, but don't have this, it is not a deduction. Well, that was me. So I'm supposed to send that stuff off this morning. And I'll tell you, I'm really chewing on it. Because I'm telling you something, I didn't think, I, I'll be honest with you, I think that's wrong. I mean, I do. I think they need to change that. So about quarter to 12, I went in to go to bed. And I was walking in to go to bed. And I turned around and went back into the office. And I said, you know, Lord, I can't go to sleep till I get this right. Um, you guys ever deal with stuff like this? You know, it's real easy to stand up here and teach about these guys. Uh, see, I had to ask myself, what quarter of life am I in? See, what quarter of life are you in? You see? Uh, um, I'm glad someone just took them out of the game. Aren't you? Anyway, that's fine. You, you, guys, you guys hear what I'm saying? So see, I, I, had, I had to get that straight last night with the Lord. Because, you see, again, I, I think of these 40 kings. Only eight of them were good. Asa did well in the first quarter. He did well in the second quarter. Third quarter, he starts to lose it. Now, why did he start to lose it? Let's, let's go ahead. And, and what happens is, in 15, I'll just tell you real quick. What happens? The prophet gives him the approval of God and, and encourages him to continue his heart before the Lord. So what happens is, is that Asa continues the reforms he keeps tearing down the idols. I want you to show you. I want to show you something. Even in verse sixteen, of fifteen, this is wild. And he also removed Mekah, the mother of King Asa, from the position of queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook uh, Kidron. Is that not amazing? He even. This wasn't his mother. This was his grandmother. This was the queen mother. She was an idolater. He even took her idol and crushed the idol. This guy was tracking with God. Look at verse 19. And there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So this guy's doing well in the first quarter, second quarter, 35th year. He's into his third quarter. He's doing well. Now look at 16.1. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Basically, here's what's going to happen. The king in the north is now going to come after this guy. This guy has had God's blessing. This guy has had God's favor. Now, he won a great victory back in the first quarter. He's had peace. This guy has had 
the unbelievable flavor and blessing of God because his heart has been poured out to God and he's seeking God. But something happens about the middle of the third quarter and this guy in the north comes down and begins to threaten him. Now, now the last time he was at battle, what did he do? He called out to God. What does he do this time? Look at verse 2. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, let there be a treaty between me and you. What this guy does in the third quarter, he's threatened again. And, and, and you know what's amazing about this? Um, the northern kingdom did not have a big army. They didn't have a million men. Quite frankly, this was a much smaller skirmish than what he had had with the Cushites, with the Ethiopians. But what does this guy do? Instead of calling out to the Lord again, quite frankly, he takes money out of the temple treasury that he had no right to take for this purpose, and he works a deal with this king of Syria, and he says, let's have an alliance, and he pays the guy to have an alliance and to go fight with him. Um, that was, and this is where the guy begins to have trouble. Um, what happened at this point in his life is that Asa began to fade in his disobedience, or rather in his obedience, and he started to become disobedient. Uh, the 36th year became a year of threat and torment for this guy. Uh, so for relief, he turns not to the Lord, but he turns to the king of, Ar king of Aram. He, what, he, what he's doing is he's setting up a foreign alliance. You guys remember last week we talked about Solomon? Why did Solomon have 700 wives? Because that was how you form political alliances and you strengthen your kingdom. What happened was Solomon married these 700 women to get 700 foreign alliances. This is exactly what Asa did. Only Asa didn't do it by marriage. He did it by plundering the treasury of the temple. He bought his way, he thought, into power. Um, I love what Warren Wearsby says as a caution. Wearsby says, we never outgrow the ability to sin. How long have you been walking with Christ? What quarter are you in? Uh, you 68? You've been walking with the Lord a long time? You never outgrow the ability to sin. See, we look at these guys and say, how could this guy have done something? Well, well you know what? We always have that ability. We always have the ability to make the wrong choice. Uh, this guy made a bad move. What, what happened was he bought protection. He tried to buy protection from this Syrian king uh, with, with the Lord's money. Now, this is where, in the third quarter, Asa starts to lose it. Now, I, I want to ask some questions about this guy. Because what happens is, He's starting a downward slide here. And you can read about the alliance. And then in verse 7 of 16, it says, At that time, Hanani the seer, or the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said, Because you have relied on the king of Aram, or Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hands. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army? He's talking about the previous battle with many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Now catch verse 9. If you get nothing else, get verse 9. Here's the principle. Here's the principle for you. Here's the principle for me. Here's the principle for every king. For the eyes of the Lord, Asa, move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is, com is completely his. 
You know what happened to Asa's heart? It started to drift. It started, it started to get away from the Lord. He wasn't seeking the Lord. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro about the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully his. So, when you're working on your schedule C's, the question is, your heart, is your heart fully the Lord's? You see? Uh, when, when, when you're interacting with your wife, when you're disciplining your kids, when... Um, God's looking for men whose hearts are fully His in every area of their lives. And when we respond to the Lord in obedience, the favor of God comes upon our lives. So how did Asa respond when this prophet... Now see, years before, when the other prophet shows up, Asa did what the guy said. Know what he does in verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. And Asa, see, before he was teachable, now he's enraged. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Um, and now the acts of Asa from first to last. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah in Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, see, now he's getting towards the fourth quarter, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Uh, how did this happen? I want to give you three principles. I'm trying to apply to my life. You can apply to yours. We'll wrap it up. Um, now, I'm surmising some of this. And I want to tell you this up front. But I'm trying to track this guy and figure out what happened to his heart. All right? Let me throw these three. Let me give you three for your consideration. Here's a statement. Where there is no accountability, there is too much power. Let me say that again. Where there is no accountability, there is too much power. Um, you say, well, how do you know there was no accountability? Well, when the prophet of God showed up and said what you did and relying on that king was wrong, Asa was angry uh, and put the guy in prison. And it says, for he was enraged. You know, he, you know why I think he was enraged? Because he had no other accountability in his life whatsoever because he was the king. You know what the danger is, guys, as we get older? And the danger is, as we go through the different quarters of life, the danger is, is that accountability drops off. When you're a young man, you have to be accountable. You work for someone. Uh, you have people in your life that are older and more mature. But as you get older, unless you seek accountability, accountability is going to drop off and you become more powerful, you become more prosperous, uh, you have more promotion, and the more of that stuff you get, the less accountability that's going to be in your life. Why is it that we see powerful and prominent men all the time go down? Because there's no accountability in their life. That's what happens. Accountability has to be sought. There has to be some people in your life that you give entrance into your life, that you know and that you trust. Because you can't make it without it. Um, what the enemy does is that the enemy always isolates a man from other significant people in his life. And you set yourself up so that nobody can talk to you. Nobody can give you constructive criticism. You're just asking, hey, this guy was the king. Who's going to cross the king? Well, this guy had the guts to do it, but obviously he hadn't been done in a while because this guy just had too much power. So I ask you the question, is there anybody 
that you've given entrance into your life that you trust that can give you constructive criticism and you will listen to them. I heard Chuck say 25 years ago that accountability is a willingness to explain your actions. Accountability is not defensiveness. It's a willingness to explain your actions. So why would you go make a deal with this king? Well, I did it because, you see, man was a bad deal, you see. All right, let me give you a second one. When there is defensiveness, there is often too much privilege. Let me say that again. When there is defensiveness, there is often too much privilege. As we get older in life, um, oftentimes more privilege comes with that. When you're older, uh, and, and um, when you're young, you're starting out with nothing. When you're older, you know, you bought a home, this, accumulate stuff, and da, da, and see, privilege is a wonderful thing when it comes to you. But when there's too much privilege, we learn, we, 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 we lose perspective, you see. Um, and we become defensive when anyone would question us because we've had a privileged position too long. I spoke at a guy's church in California last spring. When this guy introduced me, um, he, said, um, he said about four years ago, I was speaking at Biola University, and I met uh, Steve Farrar's daughter. I'm getting ready to speak. This guy's introducing me. You never know what people are going to say. And usually they say standard stuff. This guy wasn't saying standard stuff. He had my attention. And he said, about four years ago, I was speaking at Biola University, and I was in a small group after I spoke at chapel, and I met this girl, and she said her name was Rachel Farrar. And I said, Rachel Farrar? I said, is your dad Steve Farrar? And she said, yeah. And he said, well, I read his book, Point Man. And she said, oh, yeah. And then afterwards, the group was over. He says, Rachel, can I talk to you for a minute? And, uh, and she said, sure. And so they just went over to the side of the platform. He says, I want to ask you a question. He said, I read your dad's book, Point Man. And he talked about this, this, and this. He said, here's what I want to ask you. He says, is your dad the real thing, or is he not? Does your dad do what he says in that book, or does he not do it? And she said, well, um, she, and he said it kind of took her back. He said, the reason I'm asking is that I'm so sick and tired of guys that write books and speak at conferences, and quite frankly, they live like hell, and their family hates their guts, and everything's just absolutely as dysfunctional as you can imagine. And that's why they're on the road, because they can't be in a church, because their life's just all screwed up. So what's your dad like? That's how the guy introduced me. <laughs> Yeah, it was a pretty good introduction. And you know what? It's a pretty good point, isn't it? You see, it's, it's not... See, it's what you are when you're at home. That's, that's the name of the game. Not what you are here. You know, It's what you are at home. And, and what, what do you like to live with? Uh, what would your kids say about you? Sometimes we get so much privilege that we get defensive. Here's the third point. Um, and I see this in this guy's life. Uh, where there is defiance, there is often too much entitlement. Uh, we get to thinking we're entitled to things. Uh, the older we get in life. You know, you know what scares me about getting old? Is getting old. And acting like you've seen some of these old guys that are irritable all the time and a pain to be around. 
We think we're entitled to certain things. We're entitled to nothing. What we received is by the grace of God. Somehow this guy's heart got turned. And, 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 even, and see, even when his feet got diseased, did he seek the Lord? He would have in the second quarter. He sought the physicians. This guy had been given too much. We're going to study some other guys that were good men. You know what's interesting about this guy? He was considered a good king. Because he had a heart for the Lord. But he just didn't finish strong. His heart was there. He just became embittered. He became hard towards the end. Um, I, I like what John Salehammer said uh, in his commentary. He said, Ace's diseased feet picture his inability to stand firm at the end of his life. You say. So what quarter are you in? You standing firm? The name of the game, guys, is to stand firm and be faithful. And I'm going to tell you something. If you want to memorize a verse, you memorize that verse for me. The eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro throughout the earth. He's looking for the guys doing their schedule C's. He's looking for the guys raising their kids. See if they're going to be too hard on them or too lean. He's looking for the guys to love their wives when their lives aren't responsive. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro about the earth looking for those whose hearts are fully his, that he may strongly support them. I want the blessing of God in my life, don't you? Sure you do. This is the way to go. This is the way to live. So Lord, we bow before you. Uh, you're, you're the King of kings and you're the Lord of lords. And we come to you in humility. We come to you in, uh, uh, in, in honesty, Lord, that we are weak. And, uh, Lord, we've been given much. Every guy in this room has been given much. Even guys that have lost jobs have been given much because we live in this country. And we have so much privilege, and, and there's so much around us. And even when we don't have it, we begin to think that we deserve it. Uh, Lord, I'm thinking of where you tell us that no good thing do you withhold from those who walk uprightly. Some of us get disappointed, Lord, because we don't have more. Some of us get disappointed because there's not more prosperity. But, Lord... If that prosperity that we would hope to have was a good thing, we'd have it. It's just not a good thing for us now. Lord, help us to submit to you. Help us to stand firm where we are in life. Uh, Lord, help us to be obedient. And Lord, we struggle with this. We, 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 we just do. There, there are times we want to go a different way. There are times we don't think something's right. Lord, we want to be in the center of your will. We want to yield to you. We want to yield to your word. We want to be men of integrity in our hearts. We don't want to have to worry about Mike Wallace breaking into our office with a film crew and holding up a Schedule C. We want to be clean, Lord, before you because we want your favor. We pray for the guys that are here, Lord, that are facing a huge battle and they're, and, and they're struggling with losing hope. May you let them know that your eyes are upon them. You see their plight. You know where they are. You know the pressure they're under. Lord, may they not run from you. May they run to you. And may your favor envelop them and embrace them tonight. Give them hope. Infuse it within them tonight, Lord, that they will see the goodness of the Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name.